When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. One thing that I've learned is that love is truly infinite. And if it's something infinite, it doesn't diminish, it doesn't lessen, it doesn't change. I have seen for myself now that love transcends all, right? Physical, time-based dimensions and spaces. For me, love is infinite, never diminishing, never changing. It's truly absolute. You're listening to Project Loving Myself Podcast, a well-being podcast that shares stories of self-love, mental fortitude, and self-discovery. Hosted by life designer and well-being coach, Sanaya Gurnamal. Hi, I'm Sanaya Gurnamal and this is the Project Loving Myself podcast. Join me each week as we navigate through aha moments, new ideas, and flashes of insight from candid conversations that inspire you to get started on your own project of loving yourself. Because the most important relationship you will ever have is the relationship that you have with yourself. You matter. This is Project Loving Myself. Hello, fellow travelers on this adventure of Project Loving Myself. I'm glad to be spending some time with you today. I appreciate you dropping in and joining me for this episode on letting go and working through grief. Life is such that we all encounter loss at some point in time. We might have lost someone we loved, or perhaps a relationship, or even a situation. The pandemic itself took a lot from us, so there's a great loss to bear from that. Personally, I lost my grandfather in this pandemic, and this was my one great loss that I have had to get through, the first of its kind for me. But loss is a part of life. And we are all on this journey of life together. We have different stops, forks in the road, and destinations unique to us. We must remember that we came alone to this world and we will leave alone. We take only our memories with us. But despite all that we know, grief is very difficult to get through. Our heart can feel broken into a million pieces and it may feel like it can never be mended again. I've worked with many people who are grieving a huge loss in their lives, and I often find myself sharing in their grief. The load is always easier to bear when we have others to share it with. With the hopelessness and powerlessness that often accompanies grief, it may seem like you will never recover, but there is a point of relief. There's a moment in time when it will feel a lot better. As they say, the sun will shine again, the darkness turns into light. And there are ways to help us process our grief to make it easier on us. The five stages of grief are a framework developed by Swiss-American psychiatrist, 
Lisbeth Kubler-Ross in her 1969 book on death and dying. Through her work with terminally ill patients, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross discovered that those experiencing grief go through a series of five emotions in the grieving process. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. She later added a sixth stage she called meaning. Denial happens when the individual facing the loss refuses or cannot accept the truth of the loss. Accepting it makes it real, so they stay in denial until they cannot hide from it anymore. At which stage they move into anger when they realize that the denial can no longer continue. The anger can be directed at the individual who left the situation, themselves or even God. Common thoughts at this stage include, why me? It's not fair. Who is to blame? Who can I blame? Why is this happening to me? Once the person gets through anger, in the third stage, they go through bargaining, banking on the hope that the individual can somehow avoid the cause of grief. They try to negotiate or trade something of some kind. If this person comes back to me, I will do XYZ. When the bargaining doesn't work, the person goes into depression, which is the stage of giving up, of despair, of desolation. The individual may shut down or shut others out, but if they eventually make it through this very bleak, dark stage, they finally get to acceptance. The person might accept the inevitable or what has happened and make their peace with it. They've chosen to survive it, to get through it, to move on. And then a sense of calm descends and perhaps even an understanding of the lessons learned or why that situation needed to happen. And when that happens, they have reached the sixth stage of meaning. This framework can be applied to any situation, even to how we are reacting to COVID and this pandemic. So what stage are you at? Take a look at what you are grieving, what you might have lost. Through a healing process, we can move forward through the stages of grief as painlessly as possible to get to acceptance and the icing on the cake when we understand the meaning behind the loss or trauma that we had to experience. Our guest today is Bea Constantino, fashion stylist and founder creator of Studio Sog, formerly known as Herman & Co., Bea joins us on this episode today to share her journey of grief when she lost her father to cancer during the pandemic. Through her experiences, we learn how to deal with grief in a healthier way and to celebrate what we have lost, perhaps for what it has given us in return. We can honor the memory of those we have lost by doing something for them, doing something for ourselves. We can take a trip down memory lane to the moments we have shared whenever that pain of loss comes back, as it does in waves. So let's find out more about what Bea went through as she coped with her personal loss. Welcome to the Project Loving Myself podcast, Bea. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, Sanaya, for inviting me. Thanks for being here, Bea, and, you know, agreeing to share something that was a very, very big challenge in your life. Um, so let's start, Bea, by you telling me a little bit more about yourself. Sure. 
Okay. And then we'll go a little bit more into what our topic of conversation is today. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm a fashion stylist. I've been a fashion stylist for maybe 18 years now. Um, and then I, five years ago, I started that fashion project, um, which was the, which is the clothing line that you mentioned. Um, and yeah, uh, I'm also, uh, I studied theta healing, uh, which is how I discovered, which is how I got on this journey, actually, which you guys have been a part of. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really passionate about culture, about dance, movement, healing, energy, and uh, all the good stuff. Yeah. Fantastic. And tell me a little bit about, you know, why you started this clothing brand, because I know you have a pretty big mission and uh, a pretty inspiring one, too. So tell me about that. Um, this was in 2016. I was um, I had been, at a, I guess, at, looking back now, I was at the height of my career, my fashion styling career. And uh, I was so burnt out, like every day was a, it was like pulling teeth for me, which wasn't good, right? Because you want to be happy with what you're doing. And I really wasn't. And I would sob every time I had to leave for a shoot or a project. And so I decided to take like a mini break, like a three month, um, I call it a mini sabbatical, but it's barely a sabbatical. But uh, yeah, so I was just chilling for three months. And kind of like, um, there was like this void inside of me that just felt like, okay, I've done all the shoots that I wanted to do. I've worked with people I wanted to work with. I wanted something with more meaning. Like I wanted to contribute to a community or contribute to society. So um, uh, growing up, I grew up in Manila, but growing up with the stories, growing up to stories of um, my family coming from Mindanao and having this really colorful heritage um it was just i guess organic that my next step would be to put up a clothing line um so yeah so i i really had no plans then i it was just like a side thing for me and uh when i launched it in 2016 it it was so well received and so here i am today now almost six years after um cooking up exciting stuff uh but yeah so that's the, that's how it's been so far and how does it feel to be able to kind of highlight your background, your culture through your clothing brand? Like what, what kind of sense does that give you? It really gave me, I guess at the time I was trying to figure out in 2016, I was trying to figure out who I was at that point, who I was going to be. Um, you know, I, my industry, which is a fashion industry, it's a lot of uh, outward approval, literally and i guess figuratively um you know you enter the industry you hustle to penetrate the industry you hustle to get clients you hustle to get your name out there to get followers to get you know like it was always chasing like chasing after money followers uh clients recognition and so at that point i mean i, I think i was in a good place in my career at the time but like um I guess I wanted I wanted to belong like to feel to feel like I didn't need to prove myself to anyone and I didn't even know when I started the clothing line that it would lead me to that kind of space but immediately because I was delving deep into my family's roots um and when I finally visited my mom's hometown um where our my ancestors are from it just kind of gave me this instant belongingness that I've never felt before. So 
it was really like uh it was like a journey of finding myself um it was yeah it was it, it's a, i'm still in the process of doing that now or maybe like a like a new narrative but like it felt like puzzles fitting together finally you know i've seen that happen more than once before but yeah that when people feel sort of lost or they feel like they don't belong they don't know who they are when they go back to their roots and start mm. from there there is a sense of identity that starts mm. to get created and so yeah. sometimes we need to look into our past to find out who we are and sometimes we look into the future to decide who we want to be. I guess there's no real right way of doing it. It's just what way ends up working for us or what way perhaps life directs us towards. Mm. Yeah. Now, life has taken you on a very interesting, um, I would say a very interesting time in your, in your journey where you mm. had to face a pretty big loss. Mm. Um, it was, I know from working with you, something you feared for a long time. And when it came, you know, through all the work you did, you were very much prepared and you handled it with the kind of grace and I would say calm and peace. Like I've never seen you handle anything in your life. So I definitely want to highlight that. I want to share that with our audience, you know, how, um, how this loss essentially came into your life and how you dealt with it and how you came out um, through it. Uh, So tell us a little bit about um, your father and Mm -hmm. uh, what was going on before Mm -hmm. he went on to, to move into the light. Yeah. So my dad, uh, I'm the only girl and the youngest also people think um, you know, typically for a Filipino home, people think, oh, you must have been really spoiled or babied. But um, I wouldn't say it was like that. But my dad and I were pretty close. Um, super close, like super close. Like my, I, 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 oh, I don't know if I've said this to you before, but I, I feel like in this, this life, I feel like I hit the parental jackpot because my parents are just the nicest, kindest, most generous people. And, um, but yeah, like, uh, he, my dad was the funniest person, most generous. Yeah. So, um, he had his first bout with cancer in 2014. Uh, it was cancer of the colon and it was like a middle stage, like, uh, like still a repairable or a curable stage. Like it was stage 2B, I think they have stages like 2A, 2B. So he did the surgery, he did chemo, everything was fine. And uh, I was still okay then. Like I still didn't have my fear of, I still wasn't in a very fearful space. He got through it, everything was fine. Um, And then, so that was 2014. And then 2019, also uh, maybe in 2018, he experienced a stroke because he also had like a, heart condition so he had a stroke and that's when my trauma began with like that i don't know like the, that stroke that's when his stroke happened because my parents live across from me and uh from my building and so when my dad was having a stroke i was 
woken up by our house help saying, we have to bring your dad to the hospital. So when we brought him to the hospital, he was fine. The stroke didn't really do anything to him. But that kind of, that kind of like um, started my fear of losing people. It's like, oh, like we're at that point now. Like, you know, like you think your parents live forever and you want them to live forever. And, um, you know, and then this happens. It's like all of a sudden, like your rock, you realize it's not as sturdy. And so that, you know, that's when I started having anxiety uh, attacks. Uh, I, I waking up, I was, I was just really fearful that, oh, my dad could have another stroke today or like, you know, like, like those things. So that's when my fear of losing him started. But he was, he recovered from the stroke. And then late 2019, um, my brother uh, noticed that my dad had been losing weight. And so my, my brother, my eldest brother, Mike, decided to have him checked, just have like a scan. And something came up in the scan. And long story short, they found something again. And this time it was more aggressive or it was more in the advanced and late stage so yeah so i remember it was around maybe like december 2 2019 when they told us that it had already um advanced uh really fast and he just had like five to eight months left there was nothing that they could do about it um so yeah so that's how it all started and so the the feeling i, I mean it's true like what they, you see in the movies or what people tell you sometimes like when you hear stuff like that it's like you i felt like the whole world had just collapsed the entire world had just collapsed on me and everything stopped um so yeah so that's that's how it was for me and you were already pretty traumatized because of the yeah. other health challenges you had been through and i know you know you yeah. came to me as a client and we worked through yeah. quite a bit of those sort of fears and that stress, but now you were faced with something that had, uh, you know, an end date, like there was a finality mm. to it. Mm. So how did you process all of that? Um, it was so strange because perhaps like maybe five days before my brother had told me about the news. So they knew that I had, my, I have two brothers, older brothers, and they knew that I have anxiety issues. And so when they were doing all the scans and the tests, they 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 kind of kept me in the dark because they knew that okay, if we don't have um, uh, final results yet, let's not tell Bea first because she's just gonna panic and get anxious for no reason because it could be nothing. Um, strange though, because maybe like five days before my brother, eldest brother Mike, had sat me down, I was so sick, I got so ill, um, and I actually have a feeling it was like COVID because it was end of November and I got so ill. And prior to that, I was, you know, working so hard and I was just like so stressed. I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, you know, I was crying because I was like, I just want to rest. Like, I just want to have like one day when I don't have to do anything. I'm always doing something. Like I was just really like, my energy at the time was just so like, like hostile and tense and like aggressive and, you know, and then I got sick really sick like i couldn't talk i couldn't even get up from the from i couldn't even make it to my bed like i was just in the couch i felt like i was dying like literally like that's how ill i was then i went to the hospital and the, the doctor was like oh you have a throat infection blah 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 gave me antibiotics so i recovered from that 
that uh, bout, I guess it was like a throat infection. I got well and I was okay again. And then like the day after, that's when my brother was like, can I have dinner with you tonight? And I was like, something's up because my brother never asks me to have dinner with him. Um, and so now looking back, it was all the timing because if my brother had told me prior to me getting ill or feeling sick, I would have been in this like super tense, like angry, like like irritable, super busy, high strung, tightly wound energy. I wouldn't know how I would have handled that if that was my energy. But, you know, after having recovered from that flu, um, and so when he told me, he told me, of course, I was crying. We were in a restaurant, which was like a horrible place to like break that news. But like, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, I was crying. Um, but, you know, the way that my brother told me was like, we got this. You know, like no matter what happens, like, we are a family and we are going to move as one unit, you know? Um, so I remember a few days after that, I had sketched, I had asked for an emergency session with you because uh, that was my fear. Like ever since anyone asked me, what is your greatest fear in life? Just losing my parents. Like that was it, you know? And, and now it was, now I'm faced with this. Um, the, you know, I didn't, I didn't want, like, I, I wanted a game plan. Like, I wanted, like, a team. You know what I mean? Like, I wanted the strategy as to how I was going to handle this because I didn't want to be destroyed. You know, I didn't want to, while my dad was, like, slowly transitioning into the next lifetime, I didn't want to be this daughter that wasn't fully there for him. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Also though, Bea, whenever we're faced with things that make us feel powerless or helpless, the first thing we do is try to recoup or regain some sense of control. And that's why a lot of people and you were also sort of driven to do that, try to take control. You know, they, they get the right doctors, they assemble a team, they have a strategy, they have a plan, you know, and all of that is just to kind of help us get some sense of control back. Excuse me, because what we're grappling with is that, you know, extreme stress of having no control over the situation. Right. Um, And my anxiety as we have worked through it was coming a lot from not being in control of things, right? Or like the unknown happening. Like, I don't know what's going to happen to my future or stuff like that. So, so yeah, so I scheduled a session with you, a theta session, and that's when I broke the news to you. And I remember um, 
specifically that moment, Sanaya, like when you told me, you, you, the word still, like every time I'm, I'm remembering these things, it always still rings vividly inside my head. And you were saying like, we are team Bea. Like, you know, like we're here for you and whatever you need to get through this, like we're here for you. And that really made me feel like I'm going to be okay. You know, everything's going to be fine. Because, you know, in Theta Healing and Third Eye, we always talk about um, love that transcends anything or, you know what I mean? And at the time, it was all like uh, optics for me, right? Like, oh, yeah, 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 cool. Like, let me take down that that nice quote, you know, let me write it down, like really cool. But then now was like, okay, I had to apply it, you know? And so, yeah. Um, yeah. That was how it was. And uh, yeah, that was how it was when I, when I found out it was like, what are we going to, what, what am I going to do? Like, how do I want his last few months to, to be for him, you know, and, and without me looking back and, Oh, shocks. I should have, Oh, I could, I should have been stronger. I should have, you know, I, Yeah. So you were at a point you had at that point, you know, gotten through the initial shock of knowing that he didn't have much time left, mm. right? You were already starting to work on that anxiety that had pretty much shot through the roof because you were faced with the biggest fear you could right. have ever imagined, right? Mm. So how did you handle the next phase, the next stage from that? So we got the diagnosis December he passed in end of March, two weeks into the lockdown. Uh, so it was kind of to the, to the, it was the doctor's timing was kind of on the dot. Um, we, because my dad was so calm, he was so calm, like unbelievably, ridiculously calm about it. It was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm leaving. He was so matter-of-factly about it there was no like hysterics dramatic dra like theatric like nothing of course i was crying right because this was my man you know like i was gonna lose him but to be honest like i i don't mean to like trivialize it to or belittle it it felt like oh he's going on a really long trip and i'm not gonna see him for a long time like that was kind of like the lens that i chose to see it from and um and so we talked about it. Like, uh, December, he was fine. We had our, can you imagine, like, okay, we need to plan for a Christmas holiday, knowing, like, okay, this was going to be our last ever Christmas with this person who we spent our whole life with. Um, and our Christmases are usually kind of uneventful. As a family, we're not the travelers or we're not like that. It's just dinner at home, that's it. And so my siblings and I... Um, we kind of we kind of hit the ground running and we were like how do we make this the most awesome last few months for this person um and so we were planning for our holiday it was christmas and then my parents uh, wedding anniversary was a little bit after christmas and so we rented a house in batangas just us we were cooking singing dancing laughing we just had a really good time and of course, you know, at night, like when my when my parents would go to bed and, you know, us kids would drink with each other and talk, of course, you know, like I'd break down or like my brother would feel sad. But we just, it was kind of like, a, it was adrenaline also. It was like, right, what do we do? You know, like, what do we do? How do we, how do we make this? It, it, uh, it doesn't become about you or about your mom or, you know, it was just like, okay, 
I, I my 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 main focus and all my energy is gonna go to making sure the last few months for this person is the greatest. Um, January came, it was okay. Relatives were already starting to visit because they knew. Um, he he had a he had a, an oncologist, which was his first oncologist from 2014. Um, who was like when when we first found out, he was so like fatalistic about it or like resigned about it. Like he even like blamed my dad. Like oh, you should have come more often for checkups. See, because you didn't come back, it got big, and now we can't do anything about it. And we were just like, are you? serious so we decided maybe we should look for another oncologist and by um uh synchronicity we found this doctor in pgh um and he was uh you know he believed in theology and philosophy and all of those things and he or he my, my so the appointments with my dad became more of look god gave us free will how do you want to spend the, the next few months? It's up to you. I'm not going to pressure you to do chemo, to get an operation or whatever. So it was a really like a seamless transition for my, like a, a seamless process for my dad. It wasn't blaming, you know, there was no energy of blaming or whatever. And so we're so grateful for that. But um, but yeah, I yeah. want to take a moment. So a yeah. couple of things I'm pulling from what you said. The first thing yeah. was you chose the perspective you wanted to take, mm-hmm. right? You decided to focus on how to make the next few months the best ever, right? Mm -hmm. And to kind of put your feelings aside um, and make it about your father, right? So that was one, how you took some control back was to decide that that's the way you were going to proceed. Mm -hmm. Um, The the second thing you did was you celebrated the Mm -hmm. moments that you had, you know, you took that time and you talked about it, you were open about it, you spent that quality family time together. And then the third thing that I heard you say was you even took a little bit of control and finding sort of the right physician Mm -hmm. that would be with your father in the time he had left. Someone who, you know, would address the sickness and the disease in a way that was a little bit more aligned with your beliefs yeah right and how you wanted your father to feel as he took the next step of his life yeah right and it feels like you you took the best of the situation i mean out of a very very difficult you know undesirable traumatic of a situation Mm -hmm. you you made the best of it i hope so i i'd like to think so um because that was how my dad also received it. He didn't want to be. He didn't want people to feel pity for him. He didn't want people to feel sorry for him. It was he was. I don't care. He, remember, I was telling you, he was so like matter of factly about it. Um, and so how could you not be like the same way, you know? And so like every so so anyway. So from December to March, every single day, I I feel so privileged that I that I live so close to them. I was. I was able to visit him every night coming from work. I'd go directly to him and we would talk about anything to the point, Sanaya, that I would even ask him like, dad, like, like when you're gone, like, how do I cope? Cause my dad was like, anything wrong with my car, I'll call him. He'll have it fixed. Uh, if I needed like financial assistance, he, he, he's got it, you know, or if I needed, like if I was fighting with my siblings and I needed like, 
you know, uh, someone to 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 kind of like uh, patch things up for us. My dad and my mom would do it, and so I was like, you know, how do I cope? And then he would just answer it like, well, it's gonna be painful, but you just cry, and then after you cry, you feel better, and then when when it hits again, then you just cry again, you know. And he's like, and then I was like, what if it gets to a point wherein it's so unbearable? Because I had never lost anyone so close to me. Um, before I lost my dad, never. I had never experienced it before. Um, and my dad was like, "If it gets, if it becomes unbearable, then you hold on to the happy memories." And so I was like, "Okay." So he was kind of like planning it for us. Also, this is what you do. Okay, so for your mom, you take care of her. Blah blah blah. This is what she needs. Blah blah blah. blah. Uh, even for my business. So can you imagine? It's like this person's dying, and he was like, still like, "Okay, for your career, this is." How you should do it because the business is like this, blah 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 blah. So he was so open about it, and uh, you could ask him anything, and he answered everything. And so in the end, I feel like that was um, closure also in some way because now I don't. Of course, aside from wanting to be able to talk to him, I'm sure you feel the same way with your uh, grandfather, right? Like there are days so I wish I could just hear your voice or like ask you this, but. In in totality, there's nothing that I feel that I wasn't able to ask him. Uh, there was nothing. There, yeah, there was nothing left to. There was no pending topics that I wanted to ask him. But I think that's that's the important thing that when we know that loss is imminent, it's going to come, mm-hmm. and you have that extra time, mm-hmm. then you know to to do whatever you feel you need to do you know, before the time is up. So in your case, those conversations you had with your dad gave you a chance to ask all those questions, say everything you wanted to and bond with him in a way that you could take with you after he was gone. I totally agree. And like, you know, Sanaya, I just remember our conversation, you and me, uh, one of the many conversations, like, you know, like before, you know, like before I'd always like, I, with, when you would work with me on my anxiety and fears and I'd always be like why is it like this is terrible like why is this happening to me but like my brother did this or whatever and you'd always remind me to like um, focus on uh, I mean focus on the good and so the good will magnify and it sounds like a cliche right everyone says that all the time but like it's true because my siblings and I decided we really huddled and we were like look we have five to eight months left with him. Okay, we, we know that. But like also, what an amazing man. Like he had cancer in 2014 and and still prolonged his life to like six years after. Like that's pretty amazing. And like he, you know, was able to do a lot of things and he all those things, right? So we decided to focus on the extension that was given to us from 2014 to 2020. And so we were like, and when you focus, and I feel like that was so pivotal because if you look at the, just the time that you have left, you're going to get overwhelmed. Like, oh my gosh, like five months with a person? How many Saturdays is that? How many Sundays? How many conversations is that? But like, you know, the fact that we were given longer than 2014 to be with him, we were like, you know, we're good, you know? like. And then the second thing that I would, that I would like to share is um, understanding the loss. Um, I don't know if that makes sense because um, you said earlier like there was another stage to grief added, which was finding meaning in the loss. But for me, finding meaning, um, I'm still you know navigating through that. But 
while my dad was still alive, it was understanding why he had to go. How did you, and how did you work through that? Like, how did you find a way to understand that if you did at all? We, you and I worked on understanding that he's not leaving me. He's physically leaving me as to all humans uh, eventually will have to do. I, I will leave, you will leave physically, hopefully not for a long, long time, but, um, Remember, I remember that now, like you did a theta session on me and you were like, your dad's love will stay for, for with you forever. Yeah. And it calmed yeah. me down like, okay, because as a child, I mean, we are even in our, our more mature ages now, but like you're, you become, you're still the daughter that's like, daddy, don't leave me. You're like, I need you. I yeah. still need you. I'm always going to need you. But like when you're made to understand that the loss is just physical and you'll be okay, and it doesn't diminish the the um, the infinite amount of love that your father showed you throughout your whole life. You kind of like calm down, like ah, okay, you know, I'm not gonna forget him. I'm not gonna lose him. And in fact, um, last week we buried my dad because we weren't able to bury him, his ashes, um, during the pandemic. And finally, we were allowed to have some people around us. And so it kind of like brought me back to that place again. And my siblings and I were discussing after. Of course, we were emotional. We cried, gave our eulogies and everything. And my second brother said, I feel weird, you know, because now I, I have this fear that I might forget him because we buried yeah. him. We put him in his columbary. And and I was I was like, no, like, no, he's he's in you. Like 50% of who you are is dad. So that's, you know, forever going to be with you. I remember that was like, kind of like what pacified me at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember, I remember all our sessions, Bea. I remember Mm -hmm. how we kind of, you know, and I watched you grow through the experience. Mm -hmm. I really watched you from, you know, that that panic and and how Mm -hmm. it was back then when you first found out to the Mm -hmm. point that, you know, because we would would touch base and I would see you and, you know, I remember what that was like. But, Mm -hmm. um, But there's something else I remember telling you and this was about DNA. I don't know if you remember this. And I was, I was talking about how when we lose people, our DNA or our cells are craving them. And so sure. physically, we feel the sense of loss because we're craving their physical presence. And it's in our DNA, in our cells, right? But over time, and that takes maybe like a year to actually get through and I think mm. a lot of people could concur that it takes about a year to really process the grief and, mm. you know, to get to a point where it doesn't hurt as much as right. it might have yeah. uh, when it first happened. And it's because there's sort of that physical attachment we have. And then there's the emotional and the spiritual, right? And right. depending on where we are, if we're very stuck on that physical, the the grieving process is very difficult because you're right. stuck on, they're not here. And right. you know, if I want to talk to them, they're not physically here. I can't mm. physically spend time with them anymore. And when you're stuck in that very physical sense of the person, you kind of get stuck there. It's very hard to accept. Right. The emotional is, you know, all the feelings, the panic, the anxiety, the fear, and so that is something we have to process. We have to mm-hmm. go through sort of the stages of our emotions. And when we're able to kind of push through all of that, it also gets easier with time. Yeah. Okay. 
It doesn't hurt as much. You don't cry as much. There's maybe a lump in the throat versus, you know, the, the tears that won't stop. And so that too gets better over time. Okay. Um, it's easier to move through the emotions if you allow yourself to feel it because a lot of people get stuck in the physical, they don't want to feel the emotions. And Mm. so they never kind of get to acceptance and understanding and meaning. Right. Right. If they're able to feel the emotions and go through it like you did, right. You can actually push forward and you can handle the whole, um, loss. I think a lot better, um, than, than how it can be for some people. But if you can see the spiritual perspective where, which is what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. where you see and you understand that, yes, this person is physically gone and maybe emotionally you can't bond with them the way you would like to, if you were physically present, but on a spiritual, on a spiritual level, you're still connected and they'll always be with you. Right. And they're going to be a part of your life in the way you said, you know, 50% of who you are and who your siblings are. I mean, that's your dad, you know, and he'll always be, be there with you. So I think really kind of the healing has to be physical, emotional, and spiritual for us to really move through the grief, really cope with it, um, and to be able to get through it. I completely agree, Sanaya. Like uh, just really perfectly encapsulates the whole journey so far for me. Um, it also happened at a weird time because it was the two weeks into the lockdown. Do you remember like back then we were like, yeah. okay, I'll see you in two weeks. We thought like it was going to be done in two weeks. And so yeah. if, um, another thing that really made it, I don't know. I, I don't want to say easy because it wasn't easy, but made it what it was, whatever it was. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about his actual physical passing um so he this was before the lockdown he had been we had to bring him to the hospital he was already feeling weak um like maybe a week before the lockdown we had to bring him to the hospital he didn't want to eat anymore he was feeling weak blah blah blah. and we actually really thought that he was good when we rushed him to the er we thought that he was gonna die there and the hospital was already asking us to sign like a dnr like do not resuscitate or like you know, they were asking us, like, what, what are his, um, do we, uh, are we allowed to put like an NGT or, you know, all these clinical, very clinical yeah. matters. And again, my siblings and I were like one team. We were working as one. We were like, we'll ask the eldest brother. He will decide. So I knew all those things, right? So my dad didn't pass in the hospital, but he wanted to go home. He kept saying, can I still not go home? I want to go home. I want to go home. And then you know, being very open about what was happening to him. And we would have conversations and my dad would always say, and I remember even when I was a kid, he would always say, oh, when I when I die or when I pass away, I want three things. I want to um, pass away. I want, to, I want to die in my sleep. I want to die with my whole family surrounding me. And I want to die in my home. And of course, you're a kid. You're like, dad, don't say that, blah, blah, blah. So when he was in the hospital again, he said that. And we're like, okay. He wanted to go home. And so me, being the one who lives across them, I was like, I don't want to, like, can we just, if he's going to go, let's let him go in the hospital because I live across them. And I felt, you know, at the time I was still in that very fearful space. But my dad wanted to go home. So he brought him home. Anyhow, so I'll try to make it short. So uh, he was bedridden every day. I guess also that, that sealed the finality for us because every day, 
and I remember I sent you, I even sent you a message, Sanaya, like, every day I was witnessing, yesterday he couldn't walk, today he couldn't walk anymore. Tomorrow he couldn't even lift his arm. Like, you really would see the, the physical deterioration. Right. And and my siblings and I had camped out in our parents' condo's living room. Like, we were kids again. Because we were, it was really like waiting. We were just waiting. It was just a matter of days. Um, he was still lucid. We could still talk to him. And of course, we would always, I'd always go to him. I'll cry. I'll say, I love you, blah, blah, blah. I'll sing with him, whatever. Anyhow, like, maybe five days before he passed, he just went to sleep. Like, just one day, he just, he had fall. He had a pause and everything, but he just didn't open his eyes. He wasn't. He was sleep. He was sleeping. So uh, we were like, okay, at least you know he's not. He's not like in actual physical pain. So we were just there. We would still talk to him. You know the the whole thing. Um, maybe the day before he went to sleep, um, he was feeling so weak, and he was just and he was already saying like they're here. This is um this is a real story. He kept saying they're here. And we're like, Dad, what do you mean? He's like, they're here. The people who will pick me up, they're here already. Where and and then or and then he'll fall back to sleep and then he'll wake up and he's like, Where are they? And we're like, Dad, who? The people who will pick me up. And we were laughing because he kept saying, Please tell them they're so disorganized. Like he, and, and then he kept saying, Yeah, he was like, Can you tell them they're so disorganized? And we're like, Why? And he, he said it this way. He's like, I wanna go. I wanna go. Let me go. And of course, like we do spiritual work and know about those things. And so I already knew like the light was there, right? And people were picking him up. And yeah, I, I totally believed all of that. Of course, my brothers are like, okay, whatever. Um, and then the last night before he went to sleep, um, he was like, he sat, we, we, so we were beside each other. And he's like, can you read to me Psalm 23? And, and I was like, I'm not a, I'm not, I don't know my Bible very well. And I was like, Psalm 23, looked it up, and it was like, as I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I fear nothing because the Lord is with me or something like that. So I was reading it to him. So it was really like, okay, this is happening. This is how it's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. And then so my brothers came, and with the lockdown restrictions, I don't know, they found a way. But anyway, so this was right before he went to sleep. And then he went to sleep, right? And then five days after his pulse, the caregiver, the nurse was like, uh, I think you should say your last advice. I think it's going to happen in like an hour because his pulse was and his oxygen was already getting low. So it was so like, uh, uh, it was like vignettes, you know, of like, it was, it, it was like scenes from a movie of like, so it was so like clear to us, like yesterday it was like this, today it's like this. Okay. So you, you really are level headed. You know, it's not like, oh, like, you're like, okay, all right. So his oxygen now is like this. So it became like very factual. Um, and so, yeah, so when, when his, um, when his uh, oxygen and all those vitals were already slowing down, we just gathered around him. We just said, thank you. We love you. All of that until he took his last breath. And then that was it. And then um, my cousin who lives nearby, who was a doctor, had to be the one because a doctor has to declare anyway for the death certificate, declared him uh, dead. And then, uh, all right, it was like, all right. And then my brothers are like, all right, let us call Heritage and ask them to pick the body up because the time, because of the lockdown, it was straight to cremation. Okay. So it was all like, all right, this is what we have to do, you know? Um, yeah. So that also kind of like... Uh, 
I, I can, I'm, I'm only speaking from my own experience. It wasn't like a sudden death or an unexpected death. You know, it was like, ah, okay. So it all played out in front of me. So I yeah, thought for you myself. Had, you had the yeah. time to prepare. Yeah. You had the time to prepare. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And that was probably his greatest gift to you. Oh, I'm so grateful. I am so grateful um, that that it was like that. So grateful. It was just how exactly he wanted it. So, yeah. Now, Bea, after he passed, okay, mm-hmm. how did you cope from there? Because probably during those, not probably, I know during those months that you had with him, you were all busy giving him his, you know, final time on earth and celebrating it the best you could. Yeah. So it was all about him. But once yeah. he passed, it became sort of that time to kind of take care of you, though I know you were also trying to take care of your mom at the same time. Mm. How did you cope from there? And how, you know, what what helped you? What was that like? It was really making an active decision to handle it. Not even handle it well, handle it the best, but just handle it and deal with it. Because Prior to me losing my dad, I would always see like friends post on Facebook who have lost their parents. Like, uh, oh, like you know, I'm I'm there's this emptiness that I'm forever gonna have, or like I'm forever in pain. Like it's been twenty years, but I'm in forever pain. Or there's this open wound, and I'm not saying it's true. That's really how it feels. It's there's just that wound there. Sometimes you know it gets scratched. Sometimes it's it's alright. But um, I remember I made an active decision. Like, I don't want to be in pain forever. I don't, And I talked about this with my dad. Like, I don't want to be in pain forever. Is it really how it is? Like, I have to walk around with an open wound? Like, I don't, I don't want that. I mean, I, I'm okay with the pain being there, but not like all the time, just an open wound, right? And so because I had made that decision, I was just really like, right, I, had, I need to put the work in. Um, and really go inward i don't know if that makes sense because i you know how much i have been so dependent on my brothers and i had demanded so much from them right like that was one of the stuff that i had been had been working on like if my brothers didn't do this for me i'd feel like you know and so i i had to really we're all suffering the same loss and like and like uh why would i expect my brother to like you know um, listen to me cry for like an hour. He's also suffering from a loss. What I had problems with was with my mom because my mom is uh, she kind of she can't deal with situation. She she kind of panics also, and the way that she deals with this is she escapes. Like oh, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to hear it. So I had already been feeling that she wasn't as there for me the months leading to my dad passing or she didn't go to any of the checkups to the doctor's appointments like she didn't go and we my siblings and i kind of resented her for it because we were like we need our mom you know and then when i lost my dad she just kind of like checked out for a bit like i don't want to hear anything about your dad like and we were like what we just lost our dad where's our mom where's our mom and we were like there was tension for a while because I felt like she abandoned me. Like, hey, I just lost my dad. And now I'm losing my mom too. Like losing uh, yeah. presence-wise. Yeah, but the then connection. I had to realize, I think it was someone who told me, probably you, I don't know. But, you know, my, your mom just lost her husband. And she's known your dad longer than you've known your, you know what I mean? Lo- like, 
that was me. I said that to you. That was you, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of like, and I remember it was a month after my dad passed. And I was like, what do you mean? Why are you telling me this? I just lost my dad. But it was like a a cold uh, bucket of water. What's that saying? Like, I I felt like it was just, it was to sober me up. Like, girl, relax. Because, yeah, like, you're not, yeah, you, you lost your dad, but look, she lost. And then when I realized that, then that's when we started being more supportive and, you know, so it became way better after that. But in a, in a nutshell, the way that I just dealt was to just really go through the motions. I don't know if the lockdown was a good thing um, because I was forced to process my emotions. I was just home. You know, if yeah. probably if it were normal times, I would have had had to work two weeks after. I would have broken down. I don't know. Or I would have been fine. I really don't know. But I was just home. I was just dealing with my emotions as they came. Because a good friend told me grief is like loss. You know, it's not like you feel it all the time. But when it hits you like a crash of waves, then you then you just need to go through it. You can't switch it yeah. off. And then yeah. when you go through it, then it goes and you're fine. And then when it comes again, repeat. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so actually that's, one that's, of the best best um ways of explaining how grief feels mm, like you right? it comes like a wave and you just yeah. you know and you have to swim you just have yeah. to paddle and swim and keep going until it's calm again and yeah. it will be calm and then it yeah. might be a little rocky again yeah. um, and that's actually the quote i picked for for today it's about that um so you you really kind of hit the nail um mm. you know on the head with that I remember something you said to me, Bea, in our sessions. You said, I had always dreamt that my father would walk me down the aisle. That was your biggest regret. And I remember that that, you know, that conversation happened so many times with us where that was the thing that really got taken away from you. Yeah, I'm still working through it. I, I'm okay. Uh, it's really because I I know uh, I know the loss. He's not here. He's not here, and and but I do remember it was like getting sucker punched. Is that the term? Like yeah, a sucker punch when I found out that my dad only had like five months to live, and it was always my dream. I'm the only girl. I'm the youngest. Come on, what are you? You know he. What what, what are you saying? Universe, you know, like what do you yeah. mean? I'm not gonna have my dad there. And I was like, unless I find myself married in five months, there's just no way. And that was, uh, it's something tough that I had to, I'm still dealing with. But um, I talked to him. I was like, dad, come on. And he was like, I'll be there in spirit. And he was like, and then he explained to me, he was like, actually, it's really beautiful because you've always, ha- you grew up kind of having tension be- between you and then your brothers. So he was, he told me like, it's kind of like a nice full circle, uh, testament of your brother's love towards you that both of them will walk you down the aisle. And he's like, it's going to happen. I'm just not going to be there physically, but I'll be there. So a lot of tears, but I do believe that. Um, it doesn't make it, uh, and I know that will happen for me soon, but like, it doesn't diminish it. The experience yeah. of my, my, you know, my wedding day. So. As, as if it's happening already um but no let's manifest it <laughs> but anyway so, yeah. i can totally relate because um i was pregnant when my grandfather it's actually my husband's grandfather but yeah. it felt like he was the most important yeah. person in my life um 
after my husband and my children and my family, but he was really a, a very important person. And um, I was pregnant with my third child right. when, um, when he passed. I was, I think I was oh. at that point, seven, six, seven months pregnant. Oh, wow. And yeah. And I remember the day I found out she was a girl because I have two older boys, which, you know, and then, you know, you and everybody knew I always wanted a girl. And I always said, I will have a, my third child will be a girl. I'm going to manifest her. And so I remember that I was in his house, in his room, in my grandfather's house, in my husband's grandfather's house, in his yeah. room, when we got the news that it was a girl. My doctor sent me a message and, you know, I was a girl. And I remember like so excited. And I called my husband at the same time I was telling him and I was telling my grandfather was right there. And so he was there when we found out she was a girl, but he wasn't there to see her born. And my two sons are like, he adores them. And he's such a great grandfather and really like they're the light of his life. Um, And I remember how difficult it was thinking that he'll never see her. Mm. Right. And then how I dealt with it was to remember that he was there when Mm. we knew she was coming. Mm. And so that that's how I kind of, you know, dealt with it. So just like you, you were able to kind of see the good. So yes, Mm. your father wasn't there to walk you down the aisle, but your two brothers were Mm. going to be there. Yeah, you know? you know, they're there. They're there. I have people. I'm loved, you know. Uh, that's that's how it... Don't get me wrong. It doesn't make it not sad that he was not right. going to be able to do that. Right. Um, I mean, none of our coping techniques, none of our... Nothing will make... Nothing can change what was going to happen or what happened. But yeah. it does make it easier to cope easier not to get stuck because I think that was that would have been the worst thing is if you or anybody including myself had gotten stuck at one yeah. any one of those stages of grief because that would have been torture yeah. normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to health care it pays to be extra and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Yeah, like you you have to look at the bigger picture, you know, not get stuck on like, my dad's not there. It's yeah. like, okay, my dad's not there. Okay, who else? Oh, my, I have two brothers. That, that would be cool. The three of us walking down the aisle, you know? Yeah. Um, so acknowledge who and what you still have. Acknowledge what is there for you. And don't forget that people around you are also grieving. Like how you Mm. recognized that your mother had lost her husband. Mm. You know, she was grieving too. And we all have our own way of grieving. Some of us run away. Some of us hide. Some of us don't want to share it with anybody. Some of us want to talk to somebody all the time. I mean, there are different Mm. ways of grieving, but sometimes I find it's easiest to talk to somebody who knows nothing about you. You know, someone who won't judge you and someone who will just kind of be there to support you. And I think that's the key is having the right support. So I really sort of recognize you for 
making sure that despite what you were going through, you constantly, you, you, you went to seek help. You know, you, you talked to me, you messaged me. I remember you came in for those sessions, you worked through it. And every time it got really difficult, like I never saw you gets, cause I know that that anger stage, the denial and anger, you know, when you just don't want to accept it or you're angry about it, those can be really, really dark, dark times for anyone who's dealing with loss. And that's a stage people can kind of stay in for a very long time. But I never saw you that, that way. I never saw you get so angry or get so like, you never shut yourself off. And maybe you did for a short while, but you always kind of, you knew the resources were there and you kind of, you let yourself use them. You didn't forget. I don't remember feeling any anger at all. Yeah. I I feel lucky because I feel like with Theta and doing sessions with you and and even my Theta friends, um, I kind of skipped the anger denial part it was like when we were talking like okay right so what are we gonna do about it let's get to work that was immediately what happened for us i'm so grateful i think you kind of jumped through to acceptance pretty quickly yeah i think so too yeah big data right it was data yeah Yeah. it's it's a credit to all the work we did so okay let's talk about that a little bit is what did you get out of the sessions how did they help you how did talking to somebody or getting someone to sort of help you work through that what did that do for you? Just for, you know, from the perspective of anyone who's out there, because whoever I've worked with, when it comes to grief, they always feel like they're in it alone and there's no one mm-hmm. there, like they're sinking and there's mm-hmm. no one to rescue them, you know? And it's like, they're in this like abyss, they're in some dark cave and they can't come out. Um, so tell us how you were able to kind of circumvent all of that through the healing and the work you did. Right. So I'm the youngest and the only girl. And uh, I think I had always lived my life just because of how my childhood was. I had always lived my life thinking that the world owed me something or like I was shortchanged of something because uh, my brothers, they had each other. And then all those things, right? Abandonment issues and all the stuff that I had been working on. And so when this happened... um, there were times where I had certain expectations for my brothers. Like, you have to give me this because, you know, give me your time or like do this for me or reply to my text right away because like, look at what I'm going through, you know. And then I realized, okay, they're also going through the same thing. And um, and then I re- <laughs> it's so funny because, I mean, I spent the life with my dad but I realized also so many things about him and myself after he passed. So like, you know, I had been, um, I was struggling with um, uh, issues with anxiety before. And I remember, and paid no mind to it, but I remember like all of my dad's colleagues and friends would always call him, hey, look who it is, Mr. Cool, Calm, Collected. And it just kind of like passed, m- m- passed through me like, oh, okay. And then I asked my mom after, huh? Like after he died, I was like, "Mom, why did why did they always call that Mr. Cool, Calm, Collected?" And my mom was like, "Because he is. Like he never panicked. He was always cool. And he they was there was always this like thing. If a house was burning down, your dad would still be like, ah, oh, all right, let me get this. Let me, you know. And so he and so when I learned that, I was like, I wanna be like him. That's my dad. Like I ca- I can be like that because he, you know." he's my dad you have his d and you have his dna you have his his genes 
it, yeah. in me. And so I chose to, and that's how I was able, the first steps uh, and, and how I was able to uh, control my anxiety was like, I am choosing to be cool, calm, collected. Like, you know, all right, what's happening? Let's assess the situation. And it was that. And then, um, and then it was really a lot of going back to myself. Because as I said, like I had demanded so much from outward, like, like, let's say even from you, like, let's say in a session, if, if I felt like, no, but Sanaya, you didn't ask me this. This was way before, uh, like, I, remember. Like, I, I don't yeah. know, something. You didn't ask me this. Yeah. Like, why can we not talk about this? And I feel like, what, why is this happening to me? You know? And so yeah. the, after uh, my dad passed, it just made me uh, let go of my ego a bit more. Yeah. Um, and it was going back to myself as to, um, and those med- Monday meditations that you guys used to do, there was this one meditation I remember that Maisha did. And she was like, if you see yourself from your parents' eyes. And that was the turning point for me because I had been so outward. Like, what does my industry think of me? What does, you know, what do my friends think of me? And all these things. How can I be more likable to the others out there? But like, if all I needed was to see how unconditionally uh, the love that my parents saw me through their lens. And yeah. then that kind of just filled me up and then started my journey of going inward and and not being defined by the challenging things that happened to me. Um, I'm not a I'm not a girl who lost her dad. You know, like like I don't go I don't identify it doesn't define my identity. So uh, it was um it was a journey of and then making peace with my brothers also knowing that um they have their own lives and you you have to accept them for uh, their limits. You know, if, if for you, the grand gestures are, are, are what matter for them, you just have to accept them until where they're at right now. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, these are all things that we kind of step by step. Yeah. I remember peeled away all of these layers from yeah. your mind and, and brought you to, I think, that level of security and safety and strength and power and yeah. you know that i that we see here today and and you did the work of course it wasn't anyone else but you but i really felt i i really felt felt like you kind of stepped up and and um you know how they say like the universe throws down the gauntlet and you pick it up mm. and you decide you know how are you who are you going to be in this situation yeah. how am i going to react you know, yeah. what version of myself mm. am I going to be? Am I going to show to others or to myself or to my family? Okay, yeah. And that's, that's our choice. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Now, one, pretty much the last question I have for you, Bea, is what did you learn from everything, from the grief, from the loss, from how you handled everything? What did you learn? How much loved I am. So loved. Yeah. So loved. I had grown up, if I may be really candid here, but um, you know this, I had grown up thinking that I that no one loved me and that I wasn't liked and I wasn't likable. Um, but yeah, like just with my dad not here anymore and just remembering how he loved me and how he sacrificed a lot to send us to the best schools, to all of those things. Um that I am really truly loved and I am limitless. That's how I feel now. Like I've reached this point of uh, just filling my cup in honor of my dad because I don't think he'd like for me to be 
depressed and demotivated or like all of those things so like i mean i do feel lost sometimes sometimes you know you know you know this right sometimes i'll tell you like i feel lost um it happens but then you yeah. go through it and then you just bounce back because i know what this experience has taught me is that i'm re- i'm really loved um and then and then um just last week my brothers and i were talking about something over zoom and then i was telling them about this i was like this is the first time Sanaya, right? Like in my whole life. And also I'm telling my brothers that I feel in every single cell of my body that I am loved and I have love. Like genuinely. And my brothers were like, I can't believe it only, It took you this long. Like we've loved you this entire time. Like, you know, so yeah, that's what this has taught me. And I feel like that's the legacy that my dad has left. Yeah, like, like, I like he uh his last words um last few conversations that we had he told I asked him I was like dad what is the one thing that you are most proud of in your life this was like a week before he was dying huh? and then he was like my tri- my my three children I'm so proud of my kids because they're such good people and uh and all of that and then, if I may share his very, 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 very last words to me before he went to sleep and then eventually passed, he told me, I love you. You were a very good daughter. So that's wow. enough to, um, that's enough to last me a lifetime, right? Like, that's, not, that's what we want. Like, we want the people we love to feel that we love them, right? Like, to, to, we, to, to, Right, like you, you, you want your yeah. kids to know that you love them, and they grow up to be loving and kind human beings. So that's more than enough for me for hearing yeah. that from my dad. Yeah, I've been holding my tears back the <laughs> whole conversation because I'm like, if I start crying, then this is not know. you know we're not going to be able to continue with this um, but you know, love. this episode. It's love, Samaya. It's yeah. love. Honestly, it's even my tears. Like, I mean, until now, there are times wherein I just cry like like ugly cry like cry like as if I, I, as if my chest will give will give already if i there I, I just cry and it's so painful you know and I, I, I if you haven't if for a person who hasn't felt grief i can't even describe the pain but it, the pain you know yeah. what i mean like it's so painful sometimes it becomes so painful when i open my eyes i find myself my arms are reached out as if i'm reaching out for my dad and i'm always like dad where did you go where did you go? Where are you? Oh, and also to be honest, um, if I may add, like after he passed, and you know how like people say he's just here. You know, I always feel him around me, and my brothers always say that I always feel him around me. I just ask him a question, and he talks to me. After he died, to me, radio silence. I have never felt his presence. I have never. He has never whispered anything to me, and um, it's okay. <laughs> I I just feel like that's how my dad is. Like. When he leaves, he really leaves. He doesn't like the whole like fuss of it all. Um, yeah. But yeah, so sometimes like I still have episodes like that. But then I, I and for a while I was feeling bad. Like, come on, babe, don't be weak. Like you're supposed to be okay already. But then now I'm like, no, this is love. This is my love for him. Like I'm, I'm feeling like I love him so much now. And these are the tears. And same as with you, like with your grandfather. Like that's love. Like yeah. for us, like getting teary eyed. And because it was love, and I feel like, isn't that like the most, isn't that the greatest gift, you know, to have felt that love from someone um, yeah. in your life, you know, to have felt that that unconditional love, 
and because you know of that love then you can also give that love you know so when i have children and when i have a husband i will also i also have the capability to envelop them with a generous love because i felt it in my life and so that brings me to sort of the summary of or the the highlight of this episode is that we grieve because we love Mm. you know we grieve because we love and how much we grieve is mm. really kind of a reflection mm. of our love and it teaches us that we had we have this capacity to love someone so much right. but we also have the capacity to let them go right we have the capacity to pick up and move forward because mm. that is the true power of love okay yeah. and so i kind of bring us back to understanding that in grief we love and in love we have the capacity to move forward to go through that process of mourning and grief and yeah. and to know that we can do this you know right. we can get through this now beya before we end the episode i would of course like to have your project loving myself um mantra message that you'd like to share with our listeners The mantra is that one thing that I've learned is that love is truly infinite and if it's something infinite it doesn't diminish it doesn't lessen it doesn't change and I have seen for myself now that love transcends all right physical yeah time based dimensions and spaces and so yeah that's for me love is infinite never diminishing never changing it's truly absolute um and it's something that all of us have i love that you know bea because that that summarizes and captures the essence of of love in such a way that we realize without love there's really nothing mm-hmm. and so as we focus on the love that we shared with someone the love that it takes to you know it takes self love to move forward mm. it takes self love oh, yeah. to actually get through the grief and so love really is the antidote um to all things that are painful that are um you know that are feels like a loss or grief like love is really what will get us through so thank you for sharing that with us and thank you for joining me on this episode and you know telling us something that is so close to your heart you know giving yeah. us a glimpse of what that time of your life uh, was like um i really really feel bea what you went through and i was there with you so yeah you were you know and somehow as i listen to you on this episode i feel i feel more of the grief i guess when i'm when i'm your you know when i'm your healer your coach your therapist it's different i can kind of be that neutral person but as i'm listening to your story it actually is like i'm listening to it for the first time All right, Bea, share your details so people can reach you, they can follow you, they can find out more. Right. So, you can follow my Instagram to keep up with my work and my goings on um it's at Bea Constantino. Um and then if you want to see really cool heritage uh fashion pieces or or clothes, you can go to at @studio sug. That's studio S U G on Instagram as well. Um and yeah, just feel free to if anyone's going through um grief right now or in the process of losing someone just feel free to reach out and um I'll I'll reply and you know we we can 
share insights together. Thank you so much, Bea, for being here. Uh, shout out to all those people who are going through grief right now, who are going through loss. You know, we're both here, me and Bea, to tell you that you can do this, that you can get through this. And that, you know, that power of love for the person who you are, you know, having to let go of or you've lost, um, that same love will actually help you to to get through it. Okay. And we're all here. We're all on the Project Loving Myself journey and we're here for you. Are you grieving too? Share your stories, your thoughts, your feelings on at Project Loving Myself podcast and tag me at Sanaya Gurnamal. If you have any questions, any sort of advice that you seek, I'm, I'm happy to share whatever tools and techniques that I think might help you. When you share yourself with others, you are never alone. And so we are here for each other. Subscribe to the podcast and join the community on that Project Loving Myself podcast. I leave you today with this beautiful quote by Vicki Harrison. Grief is like the ocean. It comes in waves, ebbing and flowing. Sometimes the water is calm and sometimes it is overwhelming. All we can do is learn to swim. So keep swimming forward. While the person or that situation may be gone, the experience and what you share together stays in your memory forever, never to be taken away. You are loved. Thank you for joining me this week on Project Loving Myself, brought to you by Podcast Network Asia and powered by Pod Machine. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.